Hey, good morning. Glad you're here today. But a little, little chilly out there, but it's going to warm our hearts with the service, meeting with God. So glad you're here today. And uh, uh, before we get any further into the service, I want to do like some uh, church business, uh, a church business item. Uh, actually, two things. First of all, we have in our annual church business this Tuesday. If you haven't signed up, please sign up. That helps us with the food. We're going to bring food in, and it's going to be like catered, so it's going to be safe. Nobody's going to be preparing it and handling it. So you get a little package, you know, you get that, and you sit over in your in your space over there. And so, and we'll be meeting in here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, tear the plastic off like the communion cups, you know. So we're actually looking at doing uh, a different type. Uh, Floyd gave us uh, something that might work better for us. So, yeah. So then um, the other second thing that we're going to do is, I-, I can't believe it, we have somebody else who wants to join our church. Isn't that good? Jeff Hahn, right over here, man. And Karen, uh, pray for Karen. She I may have, I don't know, I, maybe I shouldn't say, okay, uh, shingles. And uh, so, you know, some of you have had that, so uh, pray for it. But isn't Jeff a blessing on that piano? And oh my goodness, he just runs all over. He uses both sides of you know, and then the cracks, and then I think he even goes underneath. I don't know. He does <laughs> magic over there. But Jeff grew up in this church. I mean, he's got fingerprints all over this church. He was married. And if you want to know anything about this church, he is the man to talk to. What's that? He's the, he is, now he's becoming the official church historian. That's right. So if you want to know the good, the bad, and all the ugly stuff, you know, uh, every family has it, you know, so we're no different, but uh, yeah, so so Jeff is, uh, yeah, him and his wife are joining. So I just want to uh, ask a word of prayer for this, and uh, it truly is a blessing. Father, it is good that you bring people our way. Like a body, you you fit people in with their gifts and their talents to make the body whole and healthy and well. We're so glad that uh, Jeff and Karen have decided to, uh, by your impression, to come alongside us and help us in the ministry. They've already been a blessing in so many different ways, ways that um, are are behind the scenes, just amazing things that they have done to be an encouragement and to help us, Lord, to to be a, a strong lighthouse in this community. And so I ask uh, that we as a church, that we will always be there for them. This is a commitment to, for them that's being made to us and is also a commitment for us being made to them that we will love them, that we will honor them and encourage them, minister to them, help them with whatever uh, in our means to do that, God, we stand before you and and uh, help us to uh, just be committed to, to be there for them. Now God, use this service uh, today as you see best. 
And let me just stop and say a word encouragement for Karen that she may be may feel better and for those that are others that are sick lord may they they raise them up bring them back to us again in jesus name amen so uh i want to remind you the connection cards are there back there and offering is back there so make sure you get that so we're getting ready to enter into february on wednesday night for six weeks called what in on earth am i here for it's all about discerning how God wants to use you. And if you haven't figured that out, you got to come. Even if you have figured it out, you come and be a blessing to someone else. And, and um, you certainly will have that opportunity to do that. So I'm going to ask, uh, uh, before that, I, I've got to back up and do one more thing, get ahead of myself, is that on Thursday night, Floyd is going to start a grief class, a, a grief group here at the church at 6 o'clock, they'll be meeting in the kitchen area. Floyd, raise your hand. Just make sure everybody knows. Okay, this is, this is Floyd. And uh, so if you have gone through something, you know there are 10 stages of grief. That's a process. If you don't understand that, please go talk to Floyd about that. He will help you. And he not only is as, as a teacher of that, but he has experienced things in his life that God has now using to help others that go through uh, things. And if you know somebody, we all know somebody that is going through a difficult time because of, of loss, please see Floyd, all right? And uh, he'll help you out there. All right, let's, uh, let's show this video. Debbie, would you do that, please? Phelps also buried himself in a book Ray Lewis had given him, The Purpose Driven Life. It's turned me into believing that there is a power greater than myself and there is a purpose for me on this planet. Second, third day he got in and he called me. He was like, I, man, this book is crazy. He was like, the things that's going on, oh my gosh, my brain is, bro, I'm, 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 I cannot thank you freaking enough, man. Like you saved my life. And so that was the moment when I started to hear he coming out of it. He, he, will, he will make it. And then he started calling me with things he was reading from the book, and I was like, it's sinking in. For a long time, I thought it was to bring the family back together, baby. My therapist said, well, you failed. How does that feel? And then I read this, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think it helped me when I was in a place where I needed the most help. The lessons learned in those pages and in therapy, convinced Phelps to try to rebuild his relationship with his father, Fred. They were gonna have a family week and I was invited to come spend the time with him, which I immediately jumped on. RSVP'd, I'll be there. Why? He's my son. I love him. I was shocked. I wasn't even going to invite him to family week. If I just didn't think he would come. And I, I guess it was to the point where I was just like, why do I just want another no in my life? I was apprehensive is not the word. Maybe scared. Not at what I would find, but how I would be received, which actually, I, it was fear that was unfounded. Because we 
saw each other. We shook hands, threw arms around each other, gave a big hug. So Michael Phelps, who was a gold medalist Olympian, uh, was at a kind of a really low spot in his life, and somebody gave him a book such as like this, and one that we're going to be studying, and it just changes. And I understand that this is just man's word written upon God's principles. That's what changed his life, is, is a meeting connecting with God and his purpose for his life. You would think that a gold medalist would have already that purpose figured out in his life. And, but, you know, without God, if you don't know God, and then if you don't know God's purpose, you, you're going to wander, you're going to waver, you're going to be like the, the, be tossed by the wind back and forth, you know. And, and so I want to encourage you to be part of this. So uh, $10 for the book and the workbook is a very good price uh, for all that. There's a sign up at the back, or I'm going to make it really easy for you if you're interested in attending because we need to know how many will be attending, um, put it on the connection card and then put it in the offering plate. You can remember that right now. Say, yeah, uh, count me down. I'll, I'll be there. All right, and there is going to be child care uh, available as well. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father, we enter into a time of uh, musical worship. And God, we just open our hearts to all that you want to do in us and through us today. We ask that people would uh, seriously consider being part of this, what on earth am I here for? To understand how God has gifted us for a purpose, and we need to know what that purpose is. And so I pray that we'll embrace all that you're doing, not only just here Sunday morning, but this afternoon. God, you're at work in our life seven days a week, 24 hours each day of the of, of the uh, week that you have, you are uh, working, being a, a master craftsman, building us to something wonderful and powerful, and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name, Amen. Please stand with me as we sing this morning. Your name, the earth.
song is about. That's when our Lord returns in the clouds and we're going to all see him. And every knee will bow and claim him as Lord. Whether they like it or not. <laughs> and I think uh, there's gonna, we're going to be singing some great stuff at that, at that time. And this next song is just a kind of precursor. Probably what we're going to be singing. Let's, let's do this one together.
to have these songs I I don't know We're, we have so much so many resources so one, so many ways of praising our God you know we met this uh, this week uh, some of the deacons and elders and we just said uh, what are we about when people walk through these doors who what do they think what do they feel I don't know what you do but I we our desire is that you see one thing Jesus we're not about solving the world's political problems. We're not about trying to fix everything that's gone wrong in the world. But if you come here and you, and you see Jesus in our lives and you hear the word of God and you're focused and you see that everyone is focused on Jesus, then we know we're doing the right things, right? Amen. And so that's what we're all about. Hope you feel welcome. If you're new with us, you're just visiting um, this is a great group of people, and uh, I'm so glad that Jeff joined. It makes me want to join again, you know. 
I thought you won't let me do that. But anyway, our pastor is going to speak to us about suffering here. Um, how many of you have suffered, you know? You know, I was just, just this morning, Jeff was asking um, me and Debbie about our, you know, I am married, by the way. Somebody asked me that the other day. I sit here by myself every Sunday. <laughs> My wife's running this, this sound back there. But like, you know, her mama got killed right in front of her, you know, when she was 11 years old, you know, by a car, smack, boom, gone, you know, and her, she became a mother like in a day and had to raise her younger siblings and stuff. That's suffering, you know. But God is so gracious that he just, uh, he'll give you uh, the best of everything in suffering and beyond. You got to trust him for that because he is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. He didn't take her mom away. We know who did that. But anyway, um, we suffer sometimes as Christians, even though we know him and we love him. But uh, but uh, Gary is going to teach us through the Word of God this morning about how to deal with that. And um, I hope you're, uh, you're open to hearing that message. So let's pray for Gary as, uh, before he speaks. Lord, we're so grateful to have a, a pastor who, who can commit his time and efforts to our, uh, our well-being, our learning, our uh, knowledge of you. And so we pray for him right now as he teaches us from, the, from the, your word, the word of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of First Peter. You can take out your notes, and if you like to follow along with those notes, and I like to do them personally, and it just helps me. First Peter chapter four. It's to the right of your Bible. If you're looking for First Peter. And uh, I'll save a few things before we get into this chapter. We'll be covering uh, this whole chapter. We'll be uh, spending a lot of time in the verses. We'll be going through 1 Peter chapter 4, currently doing a Bible study through uh, 1 Peter. In Mark Twain's classic book called The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, I loved reading that when I was a kid. One of the most prominent scenes in the book was the fence scene. You remember that? The fence scene, where Tom Sawyer was tasked by his Aunt Polly to whitewash their fence as a punishment for prior mischief. Tom Sawyer, being young, wished he could play. But his friend, one of his friends, Ben Rogers, saw him doing this job, and he did his best to, to ridicule Tom as he's painting the fence, and they got to play. Well, most people would bow their heads and take it in the chin, but, Psalm but Tom Sawyer not only turned the situation around, he spun it like a top on his palm. At the end of the day, a dozen boys painted the fence for him while he played to his heart's desire, and here's the kicker, they even paid him in kind for the privilege, <laughs> painting the fence. You say, how did he do that? Well, Ben Rogers was playing around Tom when he factitiously commented about Tom's work, and Tom simply asked, what work? And proceeded to paint the fence with careful precision, checking the application of the paint every stroke of his brush, and Ben curiously laminated why Tom was not distressed about his situation. 
Well, Tom simply said, I don't see why I would be. You don't get it. You don't get to do this every day as asking if it wasn't, acting as if it wasn't a very difficult task. So at this point, because Tom's seemingly dedicated poise, Ben had gotten perplexed and yet completely absorbed in the work Tom was doing. Ben couldn't help himself but ask, say, Tom, let me paint a little. Tom saw you refuse but grinned, Then this is when he knew his ruse had worked. He continued the act and spoke lines like, only one in a thousand, maybe even two thousand boys can do this. Or he said, Aunt Polly said, this is so important, only Tom Sawyer can do it. Painting the fence. Well, Ben couldn't resist to have a go at this important calling and offered his apple to Tom in exchange for the chance to paint the fence. When I come to 1 Peter chapter 4, it's true, as been said, that it is about suffering. I like the story of Tom Sawyer to 1 Peter chapter 4. See, Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering. They are suffering in an intense way. We can only imagine what that might look like. And the reason they are suffering is simply because they love God. They wanted to follow Jesus. They were a follower of Jesus Christ. They loved this book. They, loved, they had a relationship with God, and they, and they loved God, and they wanted to serve the Lord. And Peter writes and tells them that their suffering is actually a participation in the suffering of Jesus Christ, kind of like we're being partners with Christ in the suffering. He writes in chapter 4, that there is an upside to suffering with Christ. In fact, later as we go through this book, we're going to read an unusual statement that Peter makes. He said that we should be very happy when we suffer. <laughs> How sadistic is that? We should be happy when we're suffering with Christ. How can we do that? Rejoice when I'm suffering. You may say, well, what kind of spin is Peter putting on this story of suffering and trying to be and saying you should be happy? Peter makes such a strong case that as we go to chapter 4, if you will follow along his, uh, the reading and, and embrace what he is saying and let the Holy Spirit speak to us, you will experience something here. You'll come to the conclusion that suffering is a really good thing for us to experience as believers. It's so wonderful that we come to joyfully embracing the, the suffering with Jesus Christ. In fact, we come to a place, a position in our life that we say suffering is not only good, but we need to experience the suffering that God has designed for us. He allows us in, a, in our life. And, in, and so when we look at this book of uh, chapter 4, it isn't that Peter is making some fictitious points but it reveals the truth, and these truths brings us to the conclusion that suffering in our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, make us better Christians. So let's look at this chapter, chapter 4. Okay, we begin reading verse 1, and it says, I'm reading from the ESV, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, 
arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So if we're going to face this suffering, and we're going to face it head on, and then we're going to go through suffering in a victorious way, we must first arm ourselves with the same way that Christ thinks, way he faced uh, suffering. So to face suffering, arm yourselves with the attitude or same thinking of Jesus Christ. And so we say, well, how did Jesus Christ think? Well, we don't have a whole lot of time. We're not going to go in deep into this point. But let me give you a couple things to think about. How do we have uh, the same thinking of Jesus Christ? Paul writes in the book of Philippians chapter 2, that's such an encouraging word, and it is surrounded in a context of suffering. Paul writes in Philippians 2, he says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we have something. And we have the Spirit of God in us. So we have the mind of Christ. We have it there. It is, it is there. We just need to let it out. So let, let's see. It goes on to verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, talk about Jesus, did not count equality with God as things to be, to be grasped, but emptied himself. So he emptied himself. It wasn't about himself. Jesus emptied himself. And he did this by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. And so if we're going to have the attitude of Christ, Jesus' approach to life was this when he was here upon the earth. He was, the attitude was others before self. It wasn't about him. It wasn't his agenda. It was the will of God. It was what is to be needed or to be used to bless others. And so it was others before self and considered himself to be called uh, to serve. He was here for the purpose of others. It was serving his whole life, his purpose. He, he knew what his purpose was. People tried to talk him out of his purpose. But he said, no, my purpose is to do the will of God. And he always came back to that point, always came back to that point, considered himself called to serve. And he did that in a humble fashion. He was obedient to the will of God, even if it meant suffering and death. So that's the attitude. Now, that's a tall order, but God can give you the strength and ability to do that as we go and work and live through Christ. The second point that I'd like to say about this is that Jesus told us that anyone who would come after him, he must take up his cross and follow him, as Matthew 16, 24 says. So taking up the cross meant that you were absolutely committed and you were not looking back. He's saying that you have to make this commitment. You have to cross this line. You have to yield yourself. It's a decision to be made. And this decision is not a partial decision. It's a decision that you have to say that I am all in. You don't end up bracing the suffering with Christ as a, as a good thing until you're all in. Riding the fence doesn't cut it. Partiality, Christianity doesn't work. God says it's either all or it's nothing. You it, it can't be a, a Sunday morning Christian and then you think, well, I'm going to live the rest of the, life, the days as I want to live, as I please. No, it's, it's all in. And when we're facing suffering, it is a commitment that Peter is driving home and you must make this commit that I'm all in or, or else... The rest of the chapter, you can't go forward with it. 
You see, I think a lot of times we want a gospel that is comfortable. It's painless. We want to follow Jesus in the miracles, but not the suffering. We want to follow Jesus in love, but not experiences being hated and ridiculed. We want to follow Jesus in his glory, but not an isolated, but not being isolated on a rocky, deserted island. We want to dwell on heaven and not contemplate how horrific hell is for the lost. We want to receive gifts but not sacrifice in our our giving. We want a gospel that fits my plans instead of surrendering my life to fit the will of God. read this statement that is just a tremendous statement to me about a young African pastor in Zimbabwe. And it was found among some papers after he was martyred for his Christian faith. They found this as he had written some personal things about himself, and, he's, and, and it reads like this. It says, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I'm no longer need preeminence, posterity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't live, have, excuse me, I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith. Lean on his presence and walk by his patience, lift, by, lift up by prayer and labor by the Holy Spirit power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not not negotiate the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I stayed up, stored up, prayed up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus, and I must give until I drop, preach until I know all I know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognize me because my colors will be clear. Folks, there is a commitment because we are going to suffer. It's a gimme. But whether we take that suffering and it's going to be a benefit and even become a blessing to us is our decision. It's a commitment. To say, God, I'm all yours. I'm all in. However you want to use me, I'm there. Peter says, we're to be all in like Christ was. It's all or nothing. There is a commitment that has to be made. Let's go to verse 2. Again, verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Our willingness to suffer like Christ makes us stop sinning. This is interesting, isn't it? Peter says those who suffer are not sinless, 
but done with sin controlling their lives. See, the upside of suffering as a believer, when you embrace suffering with Christ, you stop sinning. This is the only way that can happen. Here's why. Because it goes on to say in verse um, 2, how can we stop sinning? It says this because when you make that commitment, when you come across that line that if, if suffering is, is in the plans for, for my life, then I'm okay with it. It's a, it's a resolve where you've emptied yourself and you have crossed that line. You have said, I'm all in. Peter goes on to write in verse 2, it says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That God, you are the leader, the controller. You are my Lord of life. And I'll not pay attention to the passions of the flesh. You know, the flesh does not like to suffer. The flesh does not. The flesh wants to be comfortable. The flesh wants, wants the, 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 the life of ease. They want everything going their way, going good. And Peter's saying, listen, when you come to that place of, of surrendering, you cost that light to commitment, those passions are no longer elevated in your life. They're a sidebar. Verse 3, for the time is past uh, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Well, what do the Gentiles like to do? You know what it and, and the you know, and it's like this. It's given a description of living in the flesh, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless adultery. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. They, they you know, they ridicule. You know, your, your friends, you know, if you become a believer, your friends are going to leave you if you continue on that path and you make that commitment. I don't do those things anymore. I'm following Jesus. I'm a follower. I'm a believer in God. And some of those things I don't do anymore. And they'll ridicule. They'll laugh at you. But as soon, they will be leaving you unless they turn to your Lord and Savior as well. Verse 5, but they will give an account to him as ready to judge the living and dead. You know, there's a one day, those friends and those things, people that make fun of you, that do ridicule, they are going to stand before a God, and God is going to make a judgment upon them. And we pray and hope that our friends and our family turn to, to the gospel, and they, they are saved, and, and that they are going to be, uh, uh, you know, go to heaven with us. Verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, but though judged in flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And this is a, one of those verses that you have to stop and really think about it. But now it's not talking about second chance, uh, you know, that you get a second chance after life, after uh, death, that, you know, you can accept God after, you know, and the, the hereafter there's some, there's some escape clause. After, you know, after a person that is lost and goes to hell, that there's an escape closet, yeah, you get a second chance. Death is final for us all. And whatever, however we choose to accept God, believe God in this life determines where we spent eternity. Death is the line that is final forever. So it seems that Peter had in mind as we look at this verse, in the Christian community who had already died, perhaps even as dying as martyrs. So he's talking about Christians that have been dying. 
They had received the gospel. And so he's given the gospel. The gospel has been for those who have died and those who are still living when, Paul, when Peter writes this. If this is the case, then Peter used their heroic example as a way to encourage his suffering readers to also be faithful. Let's move on to verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Wait, Peter. You mean when you're writing this 2,000 years ago, you believe that the end of all things is at hand? And it's amazing when you read through this New Testament and you, you read the writings because this is said more than, than oft, more than once that about how that the end is near. And, and then so when we come to 2021, <laughs> is that we think, you know, okay, if, it was, if they believed it was in and these were godly men and they walked with God and they had the mind of God and, and they are writing here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that the end of all things is at hand. How much more today is the end of, the, of all things at hand? And Peter is just reminding us, says, listen, you're suffering and you're going through these things. It said, the end of it all hand. Therefore, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. It is a call to serious prayer. The seriousness of the moment, the end of all things. It is like, you know, a person who is on their deathbed, and then, but before they go out into eternity, there is a serious, they're not thinking about things that are frivolous. They're not thinking about the, the, the trophies that are on the shelf. They're thinking about things that are of eternal value. There's a seriousness that involved at the end of our lives or the end when everything, the end of all things. It's a call to seriousness prayer. And I think that when we look at suffering, the upside to suffering that it does elevate our prayer life. When we are going through something that is very serious, when we're going through something that, is, that shows life is frail, that something could be in, something could be lost, it elevates our prayer life. It makes us serious, sober-minded, that, that he is in control. Uh, that, that we, we're not in control and, and, and that we're, we're not uh, calling, uh, you know, the, the plays. You know, I think that one of my prayers is in, in my life, and I know many of you are the same, is that asking God to teach how valuable prayer really is, how important it is to us as a believer. Peter says it is a call to pr serious prayer. Be sober-minded, be self-controlled. I mean, uh, don't be out of control in your life with all these things of the world for the sake of your prayers. In verse 8 and 9, let's go. Above all, keep, help, excuse me, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And simply this, continue to love others deeply. I know many of you go to work, you go to places that are so vicious, backbiting, you know, a doggy doggy world. You have uh, manipulation and things that you have to face and ungodliness. 
and the things that, that come up in conversation that, that you cringe when you hear those things and, and uh, all those things that the world will speak highly of. You know, we need to have an intense care for each other, especially during the times that we are suffering, especially the times that we are living in this day, that how the ungodliness is ramping up. It seems that there is an attack on anything that is biblical or godly. And so we need to care and encourage each other deeply. Goodman said of this, he said, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts about to Satan's perverse delight. I'm so thankful that we do have a church family that does love each other. And truly, our motto is that we want to love God and we want to love others as God loves us. And I, I am glad that I'm a part of such a family that does that. Let's continue to deeply love. We need this kind of love for each other as we go through things. You may say, well, the question comes, can I be what God asked me to be towards others? You may doubt if, if you have it in, your, in yourself to, to care for somebody deeply or to love that person or, or, or to offer any kind of benefit or be a blessing to someone else. And here's what Peter responds to that in verse 10. It says, and as each has received a gift, this is a God-given gift. This is something that is special that God purposed for you, and he gave it to you, and you need to understand that purpose, what that gift is. It's important for us. He wants to use us. He said, as each of us has received a gift, God has gifted us, each of us as believers, and that we're to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. You mean different grace, uh, ways of, of uh, gifts through the grace of God. And so we believe that God has given each of us a gift, a supernatural gift, a spiritual gift, a gift that God gave us to turn and the purpose is to bless others, to use that to help, encourage, love one another, to lift us up, to encourage Verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. And so somebody's going to be speaking about, God, well, you can allow God to speak through you. This is how this is, this, these gifts will work. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God enables us to do what he asks us to do. I was reading Psalms 23, I think it was either yesterday or this morning, about how the the, the first, very first verse, he said, Lord, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So God asks us, he's going to tell us that we can do this and, and we can be a blessing. We can be a huge help to one another. And God gives us the ability to do that. He tells us, all right, I want you to love one another. I want you to serve one another. I want you to encourage one another. I want you to pray for one another. I want you to do these one another's that are found in the, in the Bible. And in the context, of, it is to be, it is uh, primarily to be used in the church family. And this is in the context of these are written. And so then we do these one another's. And God gives us the ability to do what he asks us to do. 
and says in verse, uh, again, verse uh, 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ, Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's almost like Peter just really got excited about that time. It's just like he, he said, oh, good. And this, what this will do is that this will bring glory to God because God is working in us and we're using our gifts and this is not, not of me, but what God is doing. And God, as, as Joe said well, a while ago about God, people will see God in us, Jesus in us, will be glorified and dominion forever and ever. And then he says, amen, which means so be it. It has nothing gender uh, specific about this. He's just saying, so be it, uh, which that is exactly what amen means. Mm -hmm. When we think like this, God gets the glory. I may not have what it takes to serve others, or, but through Christ, he gives me what I need. I may not have a love or much love or have a problem of loving people. God, if you let them, his love, which is greater than any love that we could muster up in ourselves, his love will flow through us. We may say, I can't, but God can. As Paul said, through all these things, Christ will strengthen me. So we are well equipped to bless others. And the goal is to bring glory to Christ because it's not about us. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do. It's about what God has given us. Bless us. Let's finish up this chapter, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that comes upon you to test you. Let's stop and say, the upside of suffering for the believers is testing, it tests your love. It's a test of your faith. Suffering is a is a as an indicator where I'm at with God. The, the level or the depth of my love for God and for others, the depth of my, of my faith. The suffering reveals us to us. And my friend, without trials or these testings, there could be no maturity. Suffering matures us to be more like Jesus Christ. If we take away and if we had the ability to pray and take all the suffering away of our life and everything went great, you know, we were like the person who won the billion-dollar lottery every day. If we had such that blessing and favor that always nothing bad ever happened to us, we never suffered, we would be immature in our relationship with others and with God. Suffering takes us deeper. Verse 12, beloved, do not be, uh, excuse me. Uh, let me read that again. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to, upon you to test you as though something strange happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You know, some of the greatest moments of glory, of God's glory, 
God getting the glory out of your life is through suffering. And so be happy to suffer with Christ. There is an upside of suffering. We easily embrace the glory and the joy. At the same time, we can try to avoid sharing of Jesus' suffering. Now, ironically, Peter is writing this, and he was the one who told Jesus to avoid the suffering of the cross. You remember that? He said, no, Lord, don't. We don't want you. He was the one who pulled out the sword and was going to fight there in the garden as they were coming to take Jesus away. And here we now have Peter who is coming and said, no, embrace the suffering like Christ did. No, my friend, don't resist it. Don't pour your sword out. Don't hold back. You embrace what God is trying to do in you through that suffering. We tend to focus on the suffering and forget that it is a necessary introduction to the glory and joy of the Lord. For our lives to give great glory, there is first great suffering, and it always is. Suffering is a prelude to glory. You cannot reverse that. Suffering is the entrance room. It's the vestibule into the glory that God wants to do in our life. We should never deny the place of suffering and building godliness in our lives. Though there is much needless pain we bear through the lack of knowledge or faith or even through our disobedience, there is also necessary suffering. And get this, my friend. Listen to this. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Hebrews 5.8 tells us this, that Jesus learned obedience, and he learned it through suffering as he was growing up. So if suffering was a suitable tool to teach Jesus, it is a suitable tool and necessary to teach us in our own lives. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is a time for judgment begin at the house of God. If it begins with this, what will the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? There are two, two ways that we could suffer. We could suffer because we're doing wrong, or we could be suffer because we're doing right. We're all going to suffer. There's nobody in this room that's not going to get a pass on suffering. But we get to say, okay, I'm going to suffer for being a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to suffer with Christ. And God says, that's good. You see, for the Christian, suffering is like a fire. The fire consumes the fire that consumes straw will purify gold. The fire is the same, but its purpose in application is different. And its effect is different upon the straw and the gold. Even so, Christians do suffer some of the things the ungodly do, yet the purpose of God is different and the effect is different. Suffering for Christians is purifying. It grows us. It matures us. The church that goes through persecution can go through some 
difficult times, but through that process, the church will be purified. It'll be stronger because of the suffering. Its witness will be brighter because of the suffering. The non-believer goes through suffering as punishment for denying Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Verse 18, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? One of the most sober verses in the Bible. If the Christian is barely saved, the ungodly have no chance of deserving heaven, of deserving, uh, of, of standing before the judgment of God. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust or commit their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's that word, entrust or commit. We're to commit ourselves, our, lo- our souls, our lives to the Lord. And do it without reservation for God to use our lives as he see fits. Comes down to this question, folks. I'm going to leave you with this question for you to think about. Would you be willing to suffer if it meant drawing close, closer to God? If we have, we have some sign-ups, you know, for the, the Tuesday night thing and then the, the, the purpose-driven life thing. If we had a sign-up there, we can put it back there and, okay, all right, um, I mean, you know, I'm going to you know, sign you up for suffering. I don't know uh, some of us would wrestle with that. I, you know, we wrestle, want to be fed. <laughs> we suffer. But if we knew that it matured us, and we believe that God would take us deeper in that relationship with him, can't you see how suffering would be good, pleasant, and attractive? If I could go through something and it caused me to be closer to God than I've ever been before, I might consider signing up for suffering. Bow your heads in prayer. Listen, Christ was willing to suffer. He was willing to be closer to us. Could we also be willing to suffer to be closer to him? Father, this is a, this is a, oh, a difficult truth to wrestle with, especially if we're going through some suffering. So Father, help us to see and hear and understand what Peter is saying. That we might see the upside and even come to a place of rejoicing and be happy that that God is doing this because he is purging me. He is purifying me. He's purifying our, our church. He's purifying our leadership purifying our teachers, the kids that he's purifying us all. Using those difficult times. 
And all he wants is to be close to him. Father, we embrace what, what you're saying today. And we're going to say it by faith because it's, it's difficult for us to acknowledge that we're, we're signing up for pain, for sorrow. We're signing up to experience those kinds of things in our hearts. But God, we see through this. We see through this, God. On the other side, we're going to be thankful and grateful and we'll give you glory for how you worked in us and through us. So as a church, God, we embrace what you want to do through us and for us. There may be some difficult times ahead. It may allow us to go through things. But God, we're going to rejoice because knowing that, God, you're at work and you still sit on the throne and everything that you allow in our life has a good purpose. So we're going to trust you with this. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing this old him. I want you to think about the words called Father Along and uh, a great song that talks about, you know, some things we just won't understand until we get to heaven. So let those words sink deep into you as going. If it can be a help you, to you in any way, please let us know. Write on the connection card. Come see us. We'll pray with us. However that looks like, uh, we'd love to help you in your journey with Christ.
Go with God. <laughs>